Well, we're in part six now of our series, Refocus, Becoming the Church God Intends. Becoming the Church God. Now, Pastor, why are we still in this? <laughs> why, are we, why do we need to be doing this, this series? Why is it so long? What's the big deal about refocus? Well, God has used this pandemic to reveal some things in all of us, amen? And especially the overall condition of the American church. I believe, and I'm not alone, that we have elevated things in the West about how we do church above why we do church. We've elevated some things about how we worship above who we worship. We've elevated things like talent and size and numbers, finances. We've elevated things like professionalism. It's got to be perfect. Got to make sure everybody's a professional. It's on this, you know, things like that. We've elevated those things. And there's, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with, with excellence and, and, and doing our best. Come on. We need to do our best. But we've, whenever you put something or someone, a personality or whatever, above Christ, it's idolatry. And I really strongly believe that's where we have been. But our gracious heavenly Father is giving us a space and time to get things right, to get back on track, and to refocus. So the big idea of the series I've shared every week, it's very simple. To become the church God intends, we must refocus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ and him alone, nothing else. So the last three weeks, we've been working through the Beatitudes. We finished last week. Uh, there's eight of these blessings that Jesus taught, that Jesus emphasized that his followers should not just know, but apply to their lives. Now, there's more than eight blessings in the world, but these are the ones that Jesus focused on. And so I think it's important that we did as well. Um, but each of them, each of them stand in stark contrast to what we would normally think of as blessings. None of them included any kind of financial gain, wealth. None of them any, included even, even health. None of them included fame or power. They all represent the value system of a kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus would come to establish the moment he was born in a manger. A kingdom that is expanding through, like Pastor Tyler was saying, through us, the church. A kingdom that one day will unite heaven and earth. A kingdom that will one day vanquish all evil and sorrow and pain. Can anybody just give the Lord praise? Are you ready for that? Come on, even so, Lord. Jesus was teaching about that kingdom when he was talking about those blessings. If you missed any of those sermons, please go back and watch those, take notes and take them to heart. Today we're, to, we're going to continue our journey in the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5 through 7 is the whole thing, and we're going to continue with that. And yes, I know it's Independence Weekend. 
And I am going to give you a freedom message, but it may not look like or sound like what you think. Here's our subtitle for today. The Lord's Prayer. Freedom through forgiveness. Freedom through forgiveness. Father, I sense your presence in this place, and I'm so thankful for a moment to catch our breath, to pause, to gather as the body, to worship you, to lift you up, to be encouraged in your presence, to be challenged by your word. And that's what I'm praying right now, God, that you would get me out of the way and let your word go forth and not return void. Let it become powerful and prophetic and life-changing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I like to start with a story a lot of the times, <clears throat> but I couldn't. Usually the story like somehow ties in with the message, right? It's illustrative. It's helpful. I couldn't think of anything, but I wanted to tell a story. So this story has nothing to do with the message whatsoever, but it's an Independence Day story. How many have a, a memorable uh, day, uh, July 4th, something that just stands out. It might be back when you were a kid. How many just, I mean, one that just stands out above the rest. Well, in about, I guess it was 1983 or so, it was right after, soon after they had built the Galleria down in uh, Marietta. They did this gigantic Fourth uh, of July thing with, with, I think they spent a quarter of a million dollars and they had vendors giving money to that because so many thousands of people would be coming and and the, the revenue and all that stuff. And for some reason, and you know, it's supposed to, it, it was advertised, 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 big, the best fireworks in the universe, you know, that whole thing. For some reason, we went. My dad, I, I still to this day, I wonder, because my dad's not like, he doesn't like traffic, he doesn't like crowds, he doesn't like any of those things, just like I really don't either. But I was a kid, so I was looking forward to it. And we went to this thing, and it was absolutely amazing, but you couldn't move for the people. I mean, there were people everywhere, everywhere. I mean, in, in lawn chairs and in, in just on the road, in parking lots at Cumberland Mall, at the gallery, everywhere there was people. And it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. But guess what? When it was finished, you know, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, you couldn't move. You couldn't go anywhere. We were stuck there for six hours. At one point, I thought my dad was, I thought we were going to walk home. We lived off Terramill. We used to live off Terramill Road behind the park from the Galleria with a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, whatever. I, you know, I, at one point, I thought we were going to, it was that bad. And of course, nature calls, folks. But nothing was open. My mom's going to kill me. She's going to kill me. I'm sorry. She's probably watching this service, too. There was this little outcropping of trees. This was not a woods. This was in the Galleria's parking lot. This is an outcropping of trees. And my mom and I had to go. We went in there, and it was dark. That was the only thing going for us. It was dark. It was dark. Well, about the time we got in there, <laughs> about the time she was ready, if you, everybody, okay? So there, there were people all over the place every now and then shooting off their own fireworks. Well, about the time she was getting ready, this gigantic firework went up over and lit up the whole place. 
<laughs> so that's my story that sticks out. Wow. Again, has nothing to do with the message whatsoever, but Independence Day. Let's turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, or on the screen, it's going to be in the New International Version today. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. I'm sorry, Mom, it's just too good of a story. When you're a preacher, you're, you look for those things. But Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. Jesus, this is red letters. Jesus says, and when you pray, notice he says when and not if. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They've gotten everything they're going to get by being seen in front of the public. So make no mistake with this this verse, what Jesus is doing. He is calling out his biggest opponents. And who, anybody know who they are? The Pharisees, right? The teachers of the law. He was calling them out and it was obvious to everyone there, including them, and they were furious. He was always just stirring the pot with these folks. But his point is very relevant to us as well. Look at the screen. The essence of prayer is not about public style, but private communication with God. The essence of prayer is not about being seen. It's not about eloquence. It's not about deep theology. It's about intimacy with the Father, private communication with God. Now, Jesus wasn't teaching against public prayer. It's recorded several places where he prayed publicly. He's not saying that. Jesus was drawing attention to the motive behind the prayer. Here's another point really quick. Jesus is always just as interested in the motive behind our actions as the action itself. If a person, listen, if a person only prays in public and never privately, their audience is not God. And Jesus is saying, stay away from that kind of prayer. Stay away from that kind of attitude that kind of hypocrisy, and actually stay away from that kind of person, to be honest. Let's go on. Verse 6, but when you pray, second time he said that, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, how many times is that? Third time, he said, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. Let me time out right there. What he's saying is, you know, a lot of these folks knew of these pagan prayers that were just incantations that they had to say over and over and over and over again. He's saying, don't do that. We're not pagans. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. I'm so thankful this is in the Bible. I'm so thankful Jesus himself taught this. Look at the screen. God is not keeping track of your word count when you pray. I got one amen. I thought I'd get some more and some relief and be like, thank God. He's not keeping count. He's not keeping track of your word count. Last week, um, and she may be in here, I'm not sure, but last week somebody stopped me after this service, I believe, and they said, Pastor Allen, I'd love to come to the prayer meeting on Monday nights, but you talked about, you know, having everybody come up and, and whoever to pray and da-da-da-da-da, and I'm, just, I'm afraid you're going to call on me, and I'm not, not going to know what to say. 
I'm not going to know. I don't really know how to pray. And I said, what are you doing right now? She said, what do you mean? I said, what, what are you doing right now with me? Well, I'm talking to you. And I just looked at her. Really? I said, yes. I said, and the other thing, I'm not going to call you out on Monday night. So come and be with us. Don't overcomplicate it. Your heavenly father loves you. He just wants to spend time with you. He wants to hear from you, your heart, your simple prayers. He just wants you to be honest and authentic and real. And then he wants you to pause and listen. That's part of prayer. And let, give him space to speak into your heart, into your soul. That's it. Now, let me be clear. There's nothing wrong with coming to God on numerous occasions for the same thing, for the same request. That's not what he's saying either. Jesus actually encourages this in Matthew 7. He says, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. And keep on knocking until you get an answer. The key, again, is not about the action itself. It's about the motive. Are you sincere? Are you honest? In other words, we can never pray too much if our prayers are honest and sincere. We can never pray too much. It's all about the heart. Verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. And he gives our model that everybody knows. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to notice that Jesus teaches us to pray our father, not my father. So this prayer is meant to be prayed corporately. It's meant to be prayed as a church. It's meant to be prayed in the body as part of the gathering I'm so thankful we're able to physically gather again. Christianity, come on, cannot be practiced in a vacuum. Christianity cannot be practiced alone or experienced alone. We, like Pastor Tyler said, are the body of Christ with many members. And each one is needed. If my arm is cut off and nothing is done, it will die and the body will be handicapped. You are a vital part of the body of Christ. And when you detach from the body, your soul will begin to die. Your spirit will begin to wither. And we will be affected as well. Look at the screen. If God is our father, then all followers of Christ are siblings. Red Yellow, black, and white. Republican, Democrat, independent. Rich, poor, middle class. Educated, uneducated, young, old, male, female. We are a family. Go ahead, give him praise. We are family because Jesus said, pray, our Father. Wouldn't the world be a different place right now 
if we could get this, if we could truly see one another as family. Because family can argue. (laughs) Come on, somebody. It's holidays. You probably just came through a few. Family can, can, can argue and nitpick and, and disagree, but they're still family. At least if we could get this in the body of Christ, it would change our community. But unfortunately, we're just as divided in the church, Big C Church, as the world right now. God help us. And you know what? I believe that grieves the heart of our father. Come on, parents. You know if you have multiple kids, what gets you the worst is when they are fighting, when they can't get along, when they're backbiting, when they're gossiping, when they're telling on one another, when they can't get along, whether they're kids or adults, it grieves you. That's what's happening with our father right now. It grieves him. Division and confusion are weapons of the enemy. And boy, he knows how to use them. He's been doing it for eons. Come on, we can't let him continue to divide his church. Come on. We need each other. We are better together. We are stronger, united. We are weak when we're divided. We need to stop allowing the talking heads on television to tell us how to think and act. And let me just tag that with, we need to stop making everything political. That's all right. That's all right. I know you're like, oh, where is he going with this? Come on. We need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to the word of the living God and live according to that and not Fox News or CNN. Come on. If you are in Christ, you are my brother. If you are in Christ, you are my sister, regardless of who you vote for, regardless of what skin color you have, regardless if you wear a mask or not. How do we make that political? But we have. I'll get off that real quick. We are a family. And we need to have grace for each other. We need to have patience with one another. We don't have to agree on it. When when did it ever get decided that we had to agree on everything to actually be united? Come on, you get two people in the same room and you're going to have division. Or you're going to have somebody, an argument about something. We don't have to agree on everything, but Jesus said we do have to love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment, Jesus said. Commandment, not suggestion. Commandment. And as we come together as a family and online on the Lord's Day, We all have the privilege of addressing God as our Father. And you know what? That privilege is only possible because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Give him praise right now. Come on. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is perfect in heaven. Why? Because there's no sin. 
There's no enemy. There's no corruption. So when we pray his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're actually praying for the perfect will of God to be accomplished in that situation. But that's easy. Here's, here's, here's the deal. As we pray God's will be done, come on, listen, we need to understand that we're to be available as vessels, as agents to make that happen, to be used to make that happen. In other words, so often we pray and pray and pray about a, a person or a situation. Oh, God, oh, God, do this or do that. And all along is like, I heard you the first time. But I want to use you to answer their prayer. Why do you think we send thousands of dollars to Pakistan, to Pastor Sammy? It's because that man got on his knees one day, my God. And he began to pray and he began to seek God and he began to knock and ask and kept on knocking. And then he put some action and some legs on his prayers and we developed a relationship. And finally, I went over there a couple of different times to see that what he was doing was real and legit and that God was moving in that situation. Now, I could have been like, well, Pastor Sammy, it's good to see you and we'll just continue to pray, brother. We'll just continue to pray that these needs are met. The prayer was already prayed. And God wanted to use us and has used us to be the answer to that prayer. I hope you're getting this today. Hmm. Can you tell I'm a little bit passionate about that? Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. When we pray about our necessities, not our wants, not a Cadillac. You can pray for that, it's fine. Probably God's going to say, well, work harder then. <laughs> you want a Cadillac, save your money. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but when we pray about the things we actually need, that's why it says daily bread. What we're doing is acknowledging God is our source. God is our sustainer and our provider. And that's very, very, it's, it's nothing but pride to think that I can do that on my own. That I can be my own provider, my own sustainer. Give us today our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts, our sins, as we also, say also, also have forgiven our debtors or those who sin against us. Now, I'm going to talk about this pretty heavily in just a second. We're going to finish first. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God does allow us to be tested sometimes. He does allow the enemies on a leash. God uses them as a tool. And he does allow those temptations to, even Jesus went through the 40 days in the wilderness. Of course, he completely overcame all of that. He never sinned, as we do. But all of us, come on, all of us struggle with temptation. All of us. So we need to be actively praying for deliverance. Not one time. Daily praying for, because you know what? Our adversary is real. The devil, Satan, is real. His demons are, it's not a fairy tale. 
It's not a fairy tale. And so our prayers have to be real. Our prayers have to be authentic as well. Verse 14, and here's where we're going to... For if, say if, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay, so now we're getting to the big idea of the Lord's Prayer. And it's actually a better name for this is the Disciples' Prayer. Because this part about forgiveness, Jesus doesn't need to be forgiven. It's for us. But we're getting to the big idea of this prayer. We're getting to the big idea of Christianity. It's the only part in the prayer that Jesus covers twice. It's like, if you didn't hear me in verse 12, I'm going to say it again in verse 14 and 15. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the moment, the most important, listen to me, this is the most important concept in Christianity. This is where I want to finish today. In these two verses, Jesus gives us a shocking warning about forgiveness. Folks, there's no way to get around it. Look at me. There's no way to sugarcoat this. There's no way to reinterpret what he's saying. Look at the screen. If we refuse to forgive others, God will also refuse to forgive us. Is that what it says? Y'all are quiet. Is that what it says? Why such a harsh statement, pastor? Because when I refuse to forgive someone else, I am denying my need to be forgiven by God. And when I deny my need, remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. We spent a whole day on that. That's what this is. Acknowledging that we have to rely completely on the grace and mercy of God. When you refuse to forgive someone, you are refusing that grace. You are not acknowledging your need. You're saying, I'm above that. And none of us are above that. I am a most arrogant person if I ask God to do for me what I'm willing to do, unwilling to do for someone else. So here's the big idea. Forgiveness is the key to real freedom. Forgiveness is the key to real freedom. Now, you may have rights and free speech. You live in a free country. And thank God for that. Come on, thank God that we live in the United States of America, even with all our problems. It's still the greatest nation on earth. We need to be thankful for that. We need to be thankful for that physical freedom, but that is temporary. We're talking about eternal things here, eternal freedom. In your heart, in your soul, you'll remain bound until you make a choice to forgive. You'll remain bound until you make a choice to release that person who hurt you, who devastated you. 
I didn't say it would be easy. Holding on to, listen, holding on to unforgiveness hurts you far more than your offender. My sins, forgiven. The sins of those who have hurt me and sinned against me, forgiven. That's real freedom. Would you bow your heads? 